Speaking truth to power is no easy task. Most of us know the names of people like Thomas More, who spoke up and was beheaded when he angered King Henry VIII. Most of us might remember the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who spoke up in challenging times in Germany in the face of Hitler and was killed. Certainly, we all know the name Martin Luther King Jr. All these names remind us of what can happen to people who speak truth to power. Still, truth being what truth is, and power what power is, the work is critically important. One of the first and most memorable people in history to speak truth to power is a man named Amos, from whom the first lesson comes today. Amos lived in the 8th century B.C., God called Amos from his life dressing sycamore trees, from his life as a herdsman, and said, You, you, Amos, go and prophesy to the land of Israel. Laid it on his heart, gave him a job to do. Israel, in the 8th century B.C., had been divided into two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom, known as Israel, And there was a southern kingdom known as Judah. Amos, according to the book in the Bible, is from a town called Tekoa. It's in the southern region, about 10 miles south of Jerusalem. He's from Judah. And God said, Amos, you have to go to the northern kingdom of Israel and be the prophet there. I'll give you words to speak. The message of Amos was this. Next time, it's the fire. Through Amos, God, Yahweh, said, I will send forth fire to Damascus, to Gaza, to Rabbah, to Moab, and to Israel. The end has come for my people, says the Lord. That was Amos' message. Amos was called to speak truth to power. And in the last quarter of the 8th century B.C., his word became history. Amos' message came true. The kingdom of Israel passed through four decades of crisis, of defeats, and assassinations on the way to the abyss. Israel was crushed by the Assyrian Empire. Amos got it right. This is what he said. The Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line. Amos, what do you see? Amos says, I see a plumb line. And God says, The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate. The sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid to waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. He's the king of Israel with a sword. A plumb line is a vivid image and a very important tool. A plumb line, I should remind you, is a cord with a weight on the end used by builders to be sure that walls are erected on the vertical plumb. God says, Amos, what do you see? 
I see a plumb line. And then the Lord said, See, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people. There are some very important things to note about this one verse. See, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people. First, we think about that word that begins that verse, see. A better word here for the context, for the importance of what's happening, might be behold. Actually, that's the actual Hebrew word, behold. Behold is the word more often used when God wants to get our attention. See is not strong enough. Behold points to something absolutely unprecedented. Behold points to something that's going to happen beyond expectations. Like, behold, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Remember that? It comes from the angels in the fields, uh, speaking to the uh, shepherds in the fields in the Christmas story. It means you can't miss this. Something big is happening. It means, usually, God is doing something terrifically important that's never been seen before. It's like the professor saying, now you really need to understand this. Now you really need to understand this. This is the emphasis that God is giving here in this word from Amos. Pay attention. Don't miss it. This is crucial, critical for all of life. And then he says, I'm setting a plumb line. If you look up on YouTube... A plumb line. Do-it-yourself guru Bob Villa has a video of how to make sure a wall is straight. How it's plumb. How to make sure it's vertical. You use a plumb line. He says you do this. Hang a piece of cord on a wall, on a board, with a weight on the end, next to the wall, and you'll know if the wall is straight. Is it plumb? The plumb line has been working for a very long time. God's point is depicted with vivid imagery here. God's people were created upright and vertical. God's people have been blessed through the ages, plumb. But God's people are no longer vertical. They're no longer plumb, Amos is saying. In all the words spoken by Amos in the book, all this gets great clarity. God has lost patience with the people. The king and the people have stood tall in their religion, but they have neglected common decency and common humanity. They have moved the boundary markers of compassion in their hearts so that they can trample the needy. They have ignored clear signs of justice so that they can bring wealth to themselves and success to themselves. They have added taxes and rules to the poor people. They have worshipped God with their lips, but not served God with their lives. A plumb line in their midst will reveal how very out of line God's people are with what God intends. How out of line God's people are with what God asks and expects of us in faithfulness. Then there's this phrase, my people. I'll place a pump, behold, see, I'll place a plumb line in the midst of my people. 
from the beginning, God is their God, they're God's people. God brought them out of slavery. God has nurtured them and watched over them through all the generations. God has promised to be with them through all things, giving them blessing and giving them identity and giving them land and a king and more. Amos says that God has no more patience with God's people. God will not pass over them this time. God is not looking for repentance. God remains focused on punishment for God's people. Why? Why is this? And again, Amos says in the chapters before this one that you cannot go to worship and recite your prayers and then take bribes and take advantage of the vulnerable. Amos says you cannot claim to be the king and God's chosen leader and then deprive the poor of justice in the court systems. You cannot allow runaway greed in the halls of power and allow oppression in the land. Amos says this over and over. Seek good and not evil. Amos says God hates your religious festivals. God hates your feasts, your sacrifices. Rather, Amos says, let justice roll down like a river. Let righteousness flow like an ever-flowing stream. One thing only was coming to God's people, and that is destruction and punishment. This is not a word that people want to hear. This is not a word that anybody in Israel would want to hear, much less King Jeroboam, king of Israel. Jeroboam has been king since 786 B.C., and he actually served for 40 years till 746 B.C. So Amos, this herdsman, this dresser of sycamore trees from uh, Tekoa, comes and announces the imminent fall of that king's dynasty, a dynasty that everyone assumed was ordained by God, blessed by God, sustained by God, and will always be held by God. Jeroboam was, for goodness sakes, king of Israel. How could it be that an unknown herdsman from the southern kingdom could come and say these things? Well, the king's priest, Amaziah, seeks to intervene. He's so tight with Jeroboam that he believes that the king and the king's priest can determine everything that happens in the land of Israel. They're in charge. They can determine this. Amaziah worried that Amos is going to create so much turmoil by saying all these harsh things. Amaziah seeks to send Amos back to the south. He says, go and prophesy there, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it's the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom. Go on back. This is what happens when when we get so caught up in ourselves and so caught up in our own achievements. This is what happens. Amaziah says, it's the king's sanctuary and it's the temple of the kingdom clearly revealing that they've lost focus on God and devotion to God with whom they're in covenant. This is what happens when we are created for life by God and with God and for God and we shift our loyalties elsewhere to our own sense of pride, our own sense of power, our own sense of purpose. This is what happens when self-interest becomes primary and God's interests drift away. Self-interests lead to crisis and destruction. 
That's the message. God's interests lead to peace, justice, prosperity, security, and hope. Self-interest, trouble. God's interests, life. Amos responds to Amaziah that he's not just mouthing off. Don't try to send me away. Amos is acting on a call by God. This call came from God. I didn't choose to be here, he tries to say. God alone commands who can prophesy. Moreover, the sanctuaries and the kingdom do not belong to the king. They belong to God, no matter how much we think we're in power. And no matter how many times we might want to justify our ways or move the markers of compassion in our hearts how we see fit, and trample on the needy behind some claim, God places a plumb line in the midst of my people, he says. God judges according to the vertical. And the vertical is justice. And the vertical is compassion. And the vertical is care for the less fortunate. And the vertical is kindness and hospitality toward the stranger. And the vertical are efforts that promote life and vitality and hope for all people. The vertical. All of this sounds so fresh and so familiar to me. All of it. On Wednesday of this past week, I was invited to gather with some faith leaders, Jewish rabbis, Muslim leaders, a Hindu woman, and several Christian pastors. The occasion for the meeting emerged from the continuing chaos of of the world. The question before us, how do we stand together for faith, for love, for hospitality, for welcome, for our city, for our nation? How do we stand together in these days? And make a statement that reflects our faithfulness to God. How do we do that? One of my Jewish colleagues on this occasion on Wednesday said with real urgency, these are times of moral emergency. He's talking out of his own tradition, which includes Amos, like ours. He's speaking about the immigrant crisis and especially the separation of families. He's speaking about our deteriorating connections with our allies. He's speaking about lots of things. He's speaking about our common calling to foster a community of compassion and care and hospitality and love. We agreed as a group we can't just react We need to seek to respond in ways that build community, that build bridges, that build compassion, that build care, that builds hope. An event has been planned actually for next Sunday, Sunday afternoon at 4 o'clock at Temple Bethel, a time to lament, a time to stand together. We'll give you more details about that in the coming week. We're longing for a plumb line. We're longing for the vertical. We're longing for fresh loyalties that line up with 
God's real and God's important and intended purposes with what's true, with what's right, with what's just, with what's good. This is what our faith is always calling us to be about. It is. It's not about politics. It's about community. It's about compassion. It's about convictions. Because we know about God's plumb line. It's about seeking good and not evil. It's about justice and faithfulness as God's people. On one hand, I must say, we can take comfort that we've been this way before. All the way back 2,800 years to Amos and Amaziah and Jeroboam. We've been this way before. We have such a history of being unable to see our sins as transgressions before Yahweh, the Lord Almighty. It gets blurry. We can't see it. But these words remind us also of our calling as a church. As a calling of God's people, as a church, we're called to stand together for justice, especially in a brutalizing society. We're to stand together for hospitality in a society inclined toward exclusion. We're called to stand together for generosity in a parsimonious society. We're called to stand together for faith in a faltering world. As a church, we're called to evaluate always, evaluate continuously our loyalties. We're in covenant with God. And we are always called to live and serve God's purposes. Here's how my professor, Walter Brueggemann, puts it. We've made Jesus too pious, too nice, too patient, too polite. He was none of these. He was a dangerous alternative kind of power that was prepared to name names and call a spade a spade to describe social relations exactly as they were who counted on the fact that in the end all the raw abusive power of the world could not prevail. His honesty is grounded in his confidence about the rule of God. The rule of God. That's what Amos is focused on. It's always about the rule of God. Our second lesson today should give us confidence about the rule of God. Confidence. Something that Jeroboam and Amaziah and Amos had lost sight of. The rule of God. Listen to this from Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and insight he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather all things in him things in heaven and things in earth in Christ we have also obtained an inheritance 
having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, you were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. When we know those words to be true, we cannot let self-interest prevail. When we know these words to be true, we got to commit our lives to God's interests. We live for God. God has chosen us before the foundation of the world, destined us to be His children, redeemed us with forgiveness. We have an inheritance given to us. We've been marked with a seal. All this so that we can live for God. That's what that passage is about. Live for God and God's work in the world for justice, for peace, for joy, for hope, for love, for light. This is what our loyalties are meant to be about. This is what's meant to shape us to the praise of God. That's why we're made. This is what God intends. What about it? If you haven't yet seen the movie about Mr. Rogers called Won't You Be My Neighbor, you should. All of us think we know something about Mr. Rogers. We probably know enough about Mr. Rogers. But let me tell you, this movie goes far beyond the zip-up cardigans, the tennis shoes, and his children's messages. Far beyond that. You, re- you may remember that Fred Rogers was a Presbyterian minister. The movie reminds us, especially in these days, about what's most important. It's like the plumb line in our midst. These are our loyalties. These are our loyalties. God's love for all people and God's justice, especially for the most hurting. These are our loyalties. God's compassion and kindness and our embodiment of those traits, especially when it seems countercultural. These are our loyalties, neighborly acts that show real care. These are our loyalties, sincere gratitude expressed in generosity and hospitality. We've been given an inheritance, a destiny. We've been chosen, adopted as God's children. We're to live for the praise and honor of God. This past week, all of us have been mesmerized by the wild boars. You know, the boys' soccer team that was trapped in the watery cave for all those days in Thailand. What if we could each summon up the bravery, the fortitude, the strength embodied in those boys swimming out of that cave? What if we could each summon up that kind of devotion to God and God's greater purposes? May God's Spirit so cover us 
so that we can trust God with our lives. And may God's Spirit so inspire us with bravery and devotion and fortitude and faith that moves us and moves the world closer to God's purposes. Amen. Let us pray. You indeed rule and reign, O God. You are the foundation and the hope of the whole world. Lead us to align our lives in loving and serving you always. Through Christ we pray. Amen.